Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. What does the Apostle Paul know that perhaps you and I do not? And why is this so important to him that he says that it's his heart desire and the prayer that he makes before God? Those types of statements should tell us that what he is knowing is of great significance. To find out what that is, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans and chapter 10. Now, Paul's going to say in this first verse exactly what you and I need to know. And not only do we need to know it, that we need to respond to it faithfully. So look with me to Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, where Paul says, Brethren, now that's an inclusive term, both brothers and sisters. He's speaking to all believers. He says, Brethren, the desire of my heart and the prayer to God in behalf of Israel is for salvation. So Paul's desire and what he's praying for diligently is for Israel to be saved. Now, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is, what does Paul mean when he says Israel? Well, he's speaking about the land and the people telling us there is still a significant part of the land of Israel, meaning a part to be played. It still has relevance. God is not finished with that land. And secondly, God is going to bring about Israel's salvation. And why is it that Paul sees that as so important? Because he knows something. You'll recall that Yeshua, and of course, I'm speaking about Jesus of Nazareth, that he said something. And you can find this at the end of Matthew 23, where Yeshua was at the Mount of Olives, a very significant place. The scripture says when Messiah comes that second time, at the end of Daniel's 70th week, that he's coming back ultimately to the Mount of Olives. And therefore, he's there earlier in his first coming and he's looking over jerusalem and he's weeping and he says how i desire to gather you up as a mother hen gathers up her chicks but you were not willing who was not willing by and large israel and therefore he says something he says i will not come again meaning that second coming until you say, referring to the Jewish people, Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai, meaning this, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that is, and there's no disagreement among scholars, 
That statement, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a call. It is a petition. It is reaching out in prayer to God for Messiah. Now, there's got to be a spiritual change with the Jewish people in order that they will make that prayer. And when that prayer is made, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Messiah is going to return and he is going to destroy the enemies of God. Those that are going up to Jerusalem for war. He is going to deliver the Jewish people physically. And the scripture says, when they look upon the one who has been pierced, they are going to recognize him. They are going to mourn the fact that he died the first time. And they are going to receive him and they will come. That remnant in the last days, that remnant of the Jewish people will come to salvation. And when that happens, the kingdom of God is going to be established. So what Paul is saying is this. My my heart's desire and my prayer to God in behalf of Israel is for salvation. Why? Paul wants the kingdom. And ultimately, in that final condition of the kingdom, that new Jerusalem, not necessarily in the millennial kingdom, but specifically in the new Jerusalem, we read that there's not going to be any more sickness, no sorrow, no death, no evil. There is going to be the righteousness of God. Let me say it another way. There is going to be the glory of God. We are going to be with him in his glory forever and ever and ever. And the only thing that will be in this kingdom is that which is good, that which is holy, that which is perfect. So Paul is saying, I want that kingdom. Therefore, I'm wise. I'm going to pray for Israel's salvation. Now, we see something else. He speaks more about the Jewish people. Look at verse verse 2, he says, For I testify to them, meaning in regard to them, that the zeal of God they have. Now, that sounds good, but we have to be careful. You see, there are many people who are zealous. There's many religious zealots. But having religious zeal is not the solution. Notice what he says concerning this. Once more, verse 2. For I testify in regard to them that the zeal of God they have, but, and here's the problem, not according to knowledge. What does that mean? Not according to knowledge. Well, in the scripture, there is this relationship between the revelation of God and knowledge. You can only have knowledge by means of the revelation of God. See, one of the foolish things that people do is that they look at a situation from their perspective based upon what they know, what they have experienced, what they have learned in the short time that they've been alive, no matter what age they might be. And they think they understand how foolish indeed. No, God knows 
all things. And therefore, if we don't base knowledge upon his revelation, what he has revealed to us, we are going to be led astray. We are going to be deceived by the enemy. We're not truly having knowledge. So he says, the zeal of God, I testify, they have that zeal, but not according to knowledge, not according to revelation. Verse 3. Now, in verse 3, we get into the real problem. It says here, for, and this next word is, being against knowing. It does not speak of a lack of knowledge. In this word, there's a degree of rebelliousness. So they were against knowing. What were they against knowing? Paul speaking, and he says, for being against knowing the righteousness of God. And what did they do? One's own righteousness they were seeking to establish. A righteousness based upon their own perspective, their own way, doing it themselves. Now, righteousness does not originate from man. Only God is righteous. And it's only when, and this is what the gospel reveals, it is only when the righteousness of the Son of God is is given, imputed to you, that you are righteous before God only that way. And it only comes through the work of redemption. Messiah shedding his blood on the day of redemption, Passover. Now, what we find here is, by and large, now, of course, there's always that remnant of, of Israel, those who accepted the gospel, those who responded to God's revelation. But by and large, the last numbers or the vast numbers rejected. They were seeking to establish a righteousness based upon themselves, their own righteousness. And Paul says here that the righteousness of God, last part of verse 3, the righteousness of God, here's the problem, they did not submit. They were not willing to submit to the righteousness of God. Now, let me ask you a question. This righteousness of God, where would you find the means of it? Paul's going to tell us in a moment. And the answer may surprise you because the righteousness of God is first revealed in the law of God. Now, be very careful. The law of God is not an instrument of righteousness. No one, Paul says it this way, no flesh is justified by works of the law. Justified simply means no one will be righteous by works of the law. Now, are the works of the law against righteousness? Didn't say that. We'll come to a verse that clarifies that in a moment. But by simply doing the commandments, one does not become righteous. In fact, what the law tells us, and we'll see more about this as well in a moment, that what the law tells me is how unrighteous I am. When I encounter the commandments of God, I learn something. I learn that I fall way short, not even close to doing the will of God. And therefore, the law of God, these commandments, God's expectation shows me I'm in a trouble because I can't save myself. 
And what is that going to do? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But look again. He says in verse 4 now, for Messiah is the end of the law. Now, we need to talk about this word, telos, end. It means the objective. It means the goal. So the law was given, why? Well, we learn from Abraham the way of righteousness. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, so in the Torah, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So when you look at the Torah, you find that righteousness comes by faith. This is the means of the righteousness of God, by faith. But the problem was that people did not submit to that. They wanted to establish their own means of righteousness according to their own perspective. And the righteousness of God, through faith, they did not submit to. Here, when we talk about the law, one aspect of the law is, is judgment. Let me say it another way. One aspect of the law is the curse. And when you come to Messiah, that judgment, that curse ends. But that does not mean that the law loses all relevance and it's over, done away with. Absolutely not. The more we study the law and all of Scripture, the better we're going to understand the person of Yeshua, who he is, and his work, what he's done and what he's going to do. So he's not saying here that when you come to Messiah, the law, its relevance, its purpose is all done away with. Absolutely not. He's simply saying this. When someone takes the law and applies it to their life, they find out how unrighteous they are. And left to themselves, they are without hope. But when you scrutinize and read carefully the law, you find out. The law never said, a very important statement for you to hear, the law never said, by doing the commandments, one is righteous. doesn't say that. The law says, by faith, one is made righteous. Genesis 15, 6. So verse 4. For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness. He produces righteousness in us. How? To all or to everyone believing. So that is a Torah principle. Again, Genesis 15, 6. Messiah he brings about an end of that judgment, that condemnation of the law. And the law was given so that we would be brought to Messiah in faith. Paul says this, why was the law added? It was added because of transgression, because the people were walking not in faith, but in sin. So the law was given to show me my sin. And that fact would drive me to faith in Messiah. That's what the Bible reveals about the purpose, one purpose of the law. So faith comes to everyone, he says, in the verse 4, everyone believing, verse 5. Now he's going to tell us what the law says about itself, verse 5. For Moses writes 
the righteousness of the law. Now, what is the righteousness of the law? Well, he's going to speak about what Moses said. And if you're going to be righteous by means of the law, this is how it comes about. For Moses writes concerning the righteousness of the law that the man having done these, meaning done these things, he will live in them. Doesn't say by them, but in them. All he's saying is this. The one who has done them, one who has lived righteously, they're going to do what? They're going to live in these commandments. Now, why is he saying that? Well, to tell us. This is the expectation of God. That one who is righteous, he's going to do them. So he says, Messiah is the end of the law, the end of this condemnation, this judgment for righteousness. You have to ask, why is verse 5 there? To teach us that righteous ones want to live according to the revelation of God's word. So he writes, look carefully at what it says and what it does not say. Verse 5, Moses writes of the righteousness from the law, that the one, literally the man, having done these things, he will live in them. Meaning he will agree that it's good, it's proper, it's correct. It's the right thing to do. That's all he's saying is that Moses says and affirms that the law is good, that it's not, though, a means of righteousness. It does not produce salvation. Only faith does that. Verse 6. Now he's going to give a proof of what he's talking about, that faith is the means of righteousness. He writes in verse 6. But the righteousness of faith, thus it says, that you should not say in your heart, who will go up into the heavens? Why? This is to bring Messiah down. Now, he's going to say basically the same thing in two different ways. He's writing about this whole concept of how one is made righteous. He wants to affirm the law has a purpose. The law teaches us about our unrighteousness. It should drive us to faith in Messiah, which is what the law itself says, is how one is justified, how one is made righteous. Then he says, the righteousness of faith does not say who will go up into heaven. Now, that's speaking about, is it possible that one can go up to heaven? Meaning, can one live so righteously that they themselves will go to heaven? He says, if you could do that, that would what? Bring Messiah down. Now, what means bring him down? Well, what's being referred to here is the ascension. Now, the ascension begins with the resurrection, and it continues on 40 days later at the ascension. And all of this, the resurrection and the ascension, has a similar message. It shows God's acceptance, God the Father's acceptance of the work of his son. It was God's stamp of approval. And this is what Paul is saying. If someone 
can achieve that right to go up to heaven then what does that mean messiah did not need to do that work that that it wasn't necessary it didn't need to be approved by god because there was a different way so if someone can go up to heaven it means that messiah's work was was not necessary and therefore there's no reason for the ascension because it really didn't accomplish anything if you could do it on your own then he says here again the same thing but in a an opposite way he says in verse 7 or who will go down into the abyss now if someone is going to have to go to to the abyss meaning hell this is to bring messiah up from the dead now what does that mean well he died and then he descended and what it's saying here is this if in the end we're all going to go down to the abyss everyone goes to the abyss then why did messiah go to the cross so he didn't need to die so bring him up because there was no reason for him to die what paul is simply saying is this if anyone thinks that there is the means in and of themselves that they can go to heaven or that everyone has to go and this is what he's referring to see today if you ask a an orthodox rabbi where do people go when they die they will tell you they go to gehinom another word for a place of punishment another concept sheol the place of the dead and what happens to them there they are punished for a period of time now here again you don't see this in the scripture but it's in the rabbinical writings i reject this but they will say that everyone has to go to the abyss for a certain amount of time some more than others in order to make atonement well if that's the case if everyone has to do that then why did messiah bother to go to the cross don't have him go there don't have him die and likewise what he says at the beginning if we can go to heaven on our own eventually then then why did he do that work why did god say yes this was good that you gave your life on the cross and and testify to that by the resurrection and the ascension take him down he didn't accomplish anything we could do it our own no that's not what faith is that's why he says the righteousness of faith understands that it's belief that's what the torah says belief in the one who justifies and who is that god how did he ultimately do that through his only begotten son messiah yeshua one more verse look at verse verse 8 but someone says and this is the revelation it is the availability of that message of salvation he says but someone says near to you is the word now this is the word rima in in greek which is a word it's a proclamation that produces a result and here obviously this this term is referring to the gospel so he says 
Near to you is the word in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith, which we proclaim. Notice what's being emphasized here, the word of faith. And this is what's revealed going back to Genesis and chapter 15 with Abraham in verse 6, where it says, Avraham, Heimin Be'ashem, Ve'yakshavecha lo tzedakah, which means Abraham believed he had faith in God, and God accounted to him for righteousness. So when we look at how one is, is saved, it's not through the works of the law. Does that mean that the law is bad and evil and done away with? It does not. There's still a relevance to the law. Why? Well, many people come to salvation because they read in the law about God's expectations for man. What we ought to do, we're not doing that. And what we ought not to do, we're doing that. We find out that we're guilty before God. The law is still used for this purpose. The law mediates conviction, conviction of sin. Why? What we talked about earlier. To drive us to the Savior. To put us in the right frame of mind that agrees with God, that says we're helpless. We are unrighteous. And there's nothing that we can do. That's why God the Father sent His Son into this world so that He could pay the price in our behalf. And God testified that this work was perfect by raising him from the dead and welcoming him back into the heavens with the ascension. There is no other means. If there's any other way to get into the heaven other than the gospel, then Paul is telling us that, that he didn't have to die. Bring him up from the death. His death didn't accomplish anything, but that's not true. His death, laying down his life, accomplished everything. It brings about eternal redemption. It brings about salvation. And where we began earlier was this. It is only when Israel, that remnant in the last day, that one-third that survives for that second coming, when they look upon him, this one who has been pierced, and they confess he is the Redeemer, and they invite him into their life, believing what he did, confessing their sins and knowing that he died, but that he has been raised from the dead. And now he's returning to bring about his kingdom promise. The more we understand the significance of Israel, the more we understand God's purposes and his plans for establishing that kingdom. Israel, extremely relevant to God. And my hope and my prayer is that you would agree with Paul and that Israel, both the land and the people, would be very significant to you and part of your prayer. Well, I'll close with that. Shalom. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. 
Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.